This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about key investment concepts that can help you along with your portfolio management journey. There is a lot of different things that people really need to know when it comes to investment management. And sometimes the the language, sometimes the vernacular gets to be to a point where people are just confused and they just want to throw it out and not really worry about it. So what I want to do today is talk about some of these key investment concepts, but put them in a framework that's really easy to understand and then more simple to apply to your actual investment portfolio. So the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to your portfolio is evaluating performance. And I think that's pretty important, right? If you're going to be investing, your performance is certainly at the forefront of your mind. (laughs) You want to be getting the best possible performance that you can. Now, that's a very relative statement because the best possible performance that you can get when it comes to an investment portfolio absolutely triggers off of the risk that you're willing to take. There is a key concept called the risk reward ratio that basically says the more risk you're willing to take, the possibility of return gets higher. Now, there is a point though where that starts to come down, where taking too much risks actually begins to diminish your return. So I don't want you to think, gosh, if I'm willing to just roll the dice and take all the speculative risk in the world, I'm going to have the most reward. That's not necessarily true. What is true is that there's a spectrum. And this spectrum line that shows you this risk reward curve is part of something that's called modern portfolio theory which let me tell you, has been around for a long time. It's not really that modern anymore, (laughs) but it's still something that can be relied upon to show for any given amount of risk, here's the potential reward. Now, the cool thing about modern portfolio theory is it does help us kind of pinpoint that part of that point in time where taking too much risk starts to make your reward come down. So, Again, now we're getting into like some some more complexity when it comes to investment management, but the most important key concept here to understand is that there, the higher the level of risk, the more likely there is of a higher reward. But when you get too speculative, it, that reward can start to come down again, the probability of that reward. So understanding that, let's step back to performance for a second. When it comes to investment performance, how do you know whether your investments are doing any good? Well, to some degree, like I said, it triggers off of the risk, but you want to get a little bit more granular with that. So let's talk about something that is easy to understand, and we'll talk about the concept of a mutual fund. Now, a mutual fund is something that is a pooled group of stocks or bonds where you have anywhere from maybe 50 to 250 different stocks or bonds inside one single investment. And that basically is what a mutual fund is. Now, I'm not suggesting or telling you that mutual funds are the right thing for your portfolio. I'm just saying this is one of the investment vehicles that are out there. A mutual fund typically has some type of goal, and it also has some type of category. So let's talk about that for a second. The category that a mutual fund fits in 
is going to be driven off of how much stock it has in it or how much bonds it has in it. And it's also going to be driven off of the size of the companies that it represents. So if it's a stock fund, you're usually looking at small, medium, or large in terms of size. You're also looking at things like, is it United States based or is it international or foreign based? Those are different ways to categorize something. And then finally, all of those can come in three different styles. You have growth, you have value, and you have blend. Growth is really about companies that are in a really good, strong economic position that are going for growth. They have a growth plan. And really what the mutual fund manager is looking for is the price of the stock to go up, to grow. Pretty basic. There's another style, like I said, that's called value. And frequently value stocks have had some type of economic issue where they're down in value and a mutual fund manager might be looking to buy them at a lower than expected value and get them back to the correct value. Now that third style is called blend and blend can be a smorgasbord of both growth and value. Okay, so these type of funds, mutual funds, fit into these different categories and that's how you can begin to evaluate your performance is to understand what category it's in and then you can do something called benchmarking. Benchmarking means if this whole category has done a certain amount of performance, how did your fund inside that category also do? Benchmarking is something that really does help you evaluate whether the funds that you're in are below average, if they're average, or if they are performing in an above average way. Now there's lots of different ways that you can do benchmarking. There's a number of different data services that are out there. When we work with clients, we use Morningstar as our data service, and Morningstar categorizes all of the different funds out there and then ranks them. So we can see each month what funds are below average, which funds are average, and which funds are above average. And that really, in my opinion, is the best way to actually evaluate the performance of funds in order to decide if it's a holding that you want to keep in your portfolio. Now, if that's something you don't have any interest in doing, then that's why you might want to hire somebody like our firm to help you do that. That's what evaluation of performance looks like. And we evaluate things on a quarterly basis for our clients. Now, if you're doing this yourself, you might want to think about evaluating it quarterly, annually, semi-annually, you know, whatever is, is, your, is your number that you want to choose. But we feel that strong portfolio management does some type of performance evaluation on a quarterly basis. Now, mutual funds aren't the only investments out there. So evaluating your performance can come in a lot of different ways of doing it. You know, if you're looking at um, CDs, for instance, evaluating your CD performance might be as easy as comparing the rates of different CDs that are out there. Um, and so there's, there's lots of different ways that you can do performance evaluation, but you have to have the data in, in order to be able to do it. Okay, another thing that you have to think about when it comes to evaluating your portfolio is the fees. Sometimes you have what are called transaction fees. And what that means is that every time something is bought or sold, there is a fee to you for doing that. Sometimes the types of fees that you have are called management fees. And management fees tend to be all encompassing 
And if you have management fees you're paying, frequently you don't have transaction fees. Sometimes firms charge both, so be a little bit careful about that. But the management fees are there to compensate the person who's making decisions for your portfolio about what to buy, hold, and sell inside of it. Another type of fee that you might have are um, annual fees for accounts. So some types of accounts, and it, this especially happens when we come to IRAs and things like that, some types of accounts have annual fees and it's because the company or the custodian of the money has to send reporting to the IRS each year about the value of the funds in an IRA. And so then they charge a fee to the client to be able to provide that reporting. And some accounts even have things that are called non-action fees. <laughs> and what that means is if you have an account and you're not doing any transactions, they're going to charge you a fee for not doing anything. So there's just layers and layers and layers of fees inside of different investments. And what you have to understand is that the obvious thing is all of the fees drag down your overall performance level. So when you're evaluating this performance, the fees absolutely do matter. Now, fees can come in any kind of ranges, but I would say that if you're having somebody manage accounts for you, that fee is gonna range anywhere from one, maybe a half of 1% up to 2%. Generally speaking, management fees are higher on smaller dollar accounts and they come down as a percentage of it as the accounts actually get bigger. When you look at your statements, that's where you might be able to pick up some information about the fees. Now think about this though, not all fees are very transparent. And sometimes that's part of the reason that you have these huge prospectus books and things like that that you get in the mail. I know that our clients tell us all the time, gosh, I wish I wasn't getting so much mail <laughs> from our investments. And so that's the thing about it though, they have to disclose the fees, but sometimes fees are buried inside these prospectus books. So if you're not seeing any fees on your statements, I'm sure there are fees somewhere because investing is not a no fee type of business. Even if you have things that are called no load mutual funds, that doesn't mean there's no fees anywhere. It just means you didn't pay a fee to get in or out of it. But all funds, all ETFs have some type of internal management expense fee. And if you don't see it transparently on your statement, that means it's buried somewhere in the prospectus, but it's still there. And again, that can create drag on your performance. Congratulations to Mary Stirk and the team at Stirk Financial for earning a spot on two Forbes lists. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors and Forbes Top Women in Wealth for four years running. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, where today we're talking about key investment concepts that can help you as you're managing your portfolio. So I said that we would come back from break and talk about taxes, and here's what I want to say about that. Investments are known as something called a capital asset. And if you make money by selling one of your capital assets, then you're going to pay something called a capital gain. Okay, so that's where that language actually comes from. In contrast, if you lose money on a capital asset, then when you sell that, 
you get to take what's called a capital loss. Now, here's the thing is that these capital gains and losses have a time frame that's very important because the time frame dictates the amount of tax that you're going to have to pay. Under current law, anything that is sold within a 12-month time frame is subject to short-term capital gains or losses, and anything sold after a year is subject to long-term capital gains or losses. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because of the amount of tax you pay. Let's assume that you are in a 33% tax bracket. Let's assume you have a strong income and you're in a 33% tax bracket. When you sell something with a short-term capital gain, you pay the same taxes as your highest bracket, so 33%. If you would wait until one year to sell it, you would be in long-term capital gain territory, which has a maximum of 20% federal taxes plus a 3.8% Medicare tax surtax on top of it. So you can save about 10% roughly in taxes in that example by having long-term capital gains versus short-term. So in a nutshell, short-term capital gains, you pay them at your normal tax rate. It's the ordinary income tax rate. Long-term capital gains though, under current law have some preferential tax treatment that brings down the cost of that taxation. Now the other thing that's interesting about capital gain taxes is that they can wash each other. So if you have some short-term capital gains, they can get washed out by short-term capital losses. And if you have some long-term capital gains, they can get washed out by long-term capital losses. The idea with this is to be looking at your portfolio and making sure that you understand what has hit you during the year from a capital gain perspective, and towards the end of the year, be looking to see if there's any way that you can wash some of these gains with something in your portfolio that might have a loss that can help bring down that taxable burden. That is called tax loss harvesting. So another key concept, tax loss harvesting, is selling things to that have a loss to wash away some of the gain that has already been triggered in your portfolio. Okay, let's go back to this whole portfolio and talk about a concept that you hear all the time called asset allocation. Asset allocation is when you decide, usually on some type of percentage basis, what portion of your total portfolio you want invested in different asset classes. Asset classes can be as broad as stocks or bonds or cash, or you can dig down even deeper and you can go into asset classes that you're looking at like large company growth, medium company growth, small company growth, large company value, medium company value, small company value, kind of like what I was talking about a little bit earlier in this show. So you can make an asset allocation choice broadly or at a more micro level. And when you're doing that, what you're really doing is beginning to diversify your portfolio. When you diversify, the whole aim is to spread out the risk because these asset classes all behave differently when it comes to things going on in the world, okay? When you have certain political things happen, different asset classes respond one way. When you have different geopolitical things happen or world events happen, 
things happen, things respond differently. When inflation goes up, some investments might go up, some might go down. And so that's why you want to have your money having an asset allocation strategy, meaning spread out among asset classes, and then within those asset classes, not have all your eggs in one basket, diversifying within them, meaning having multiple investments inside these asset classes. Okay, that's a lot, right? That's a lot to understand is how to actually divide that up. The good thing is that most investment people are very trained in how to do asset allocation. I should say many of them are trained, well-trained in asset allocation, but there's also loads and loads and loads of information that you can find out on the internet about how to do good asset allocation and how to diversify your investments. One of the things though that happens with a good diversified portfolio is a concept that's called skew. And what skew means is that sometimes you're going to have investments that do really, really well, way better than other things. And then after they've done really, really well, they now represent a bigger percentage of your portfolio than you ever really intended them to do. So let's just say that you had a portfolio that was a 50-50 mix of stocks and bonds. 50% stocks, 50% bonds. If your stocks all of a sudden have a really good year and make a ton of money, then your and your bonds don't, they just stay maybe stagnant or they make one or two percent, then pretty soon your stocks are going to outpace the percentage of 50% of your portfolio. That is called skew, when your portfolio percentages start, start to get skewed because of good performance. So what can you do when you have skew? Well, you can do something that's called rebalancing. And that's another key investment concept to understand. Rebalancing just means correcting the skew, getting yourself back to the level of diversification that you wanted, back to that 50-50 portfolio. Now, here's the thing, though. When you rebalance, there's a couple of different ways that you can do this. And some of them are a little bit more emotionally acceptable than others are. <laughs> so one thing is, if you have cash coming in, you can redirect it to the asset classes that are now a lower percentage. So you can buy more of the things that haven't done quite as well. That's one way to handle it. Another way to handle it is to sell off some of the profits of the good performers and then rebalance and reinvest them over into the ones that have been lagging. That's where you get into some emotional challenge with this because people are like, wait a minute, these are doing great. Why would I want to sell them? But really remember, the key is the balance and the goal of having a strong asset allocation and diversification because what can go way up can certainly come way down. And if all of a sudden you have 60% of your portfolio in stocks or 70% of your portfolio in stocks and the market has a big drop, you have way more of your portfolio at risk than what you had intentionally wanted it to be. Okay, couple of things when it comes to rebalancing. If you're rebalancing in an IRA or a Roth IRA or a 401k, you don't have to really pay attention to the tax consequences of doing so because rebalancing inside those accounts doesn't create a tax challenge. However, if you have something called a non-qualified account, meaning it's not an IRA, in a non-qualified account, you may be creating a tax burden for yourself when you rebalance. 
especially if what you're doing is selling some of the profit from the higher performers and then moving that over into the ones that were lagging. Why? Because you're selling and that can trigger that capital gain or loss that we just talked about. So be careful when you rebalance that you're looking at the short and long-term gains of things and be careful when you rebalance that you don't put yourself into an unnecessary or too significant of a tax issue, just be aware of it before you actually pull the trigger on it. That's very important. Okay, the next thing that I wanna talk about when it comes to the actual investment portfolio is the reality of risk. And the thing about risk is that risk comes in a number of different formats. People normally think about risk in just terms of gains or losses, and certainly that is a risk, right? You can't invest in the markets without some level of risk. The markets are not a guaranteed investment. So reality check, all investments carry some degree of risk. So even conservative investments, though, have some level of risk because conservative investments, while they might not have a lot of market drop risk, they have risk of something that's called inflation risk. So if inflation is moving faster than the earnings on them, you're losing value because they are losing their purchasing power. So being aware of inflation risk is definitely one thing, which is probably kind of hot and heavy on people's minds right now. Another type of risk is called liquidity risk. So how easy or hard is it to cash out your investments when you need to is called liquidity risk. So in, in addition to market risk and inflation risk, liquidity risk is something that you wanna pay attention to. Another risk factor that people don't always put into their minds is how many or how few investments that you have. So generally speaking, the more eggs you have in one basket, the higher risk level you have. It's called concentration risk. Concentration risk means you have too much invested in one investment. It's concentrated in that one thing and creating a risk because if that one thing doesn't do well, then you have too many eggs in that basket. So concentration risk is another thing that you wanna be aware of in your portfolio. And then that goes right back to that to diversification spreading out your risk over many different things so that not one thing going upside down can just make or break your portfolio. Okay, so we've talked about a lot today. We've talked about many different key investment concepts from asset allocation to diversification, to risk and reward, to taxation, to different types of investment risk. And I really hope that this overview of some different key investment concepts has been helpful for you to understand what to be thinking about when it comes to portfolio management. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. 
Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.